is up, guys? We got Jammers in the Rough this week for you. Once again, go check out last week with Scott Stokely. That was a huge one. That was an absolute blast. But this week, we got an amazing guest for you. He is 23andMe-sponsored Tai. As always, we have our amazing co-host with us. We have Cody, the absolute worst Waldron. We have Josh with the 2023 Team TSA official announcement. No, no, no. He just said you were. No. So we got Josh that doesn't want to announce it yet, but he told me on the down low. No. And then, as always, me, Paige. So what is up, Tai? Is there anything you want to shout out before we get started? Well, thank you guys uh, for having me on Jammers in the Rough. Um, I've been listening the last couple of weeks. I actually tuned into the Scott Still Clear, so that was super sweet. So just thank you guys for having me on. And, uh, yeah, I got a bunch of sponsors. Imagine that if you guys go to my social media, you'll find all of them. So we'll just leave it at that. And thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, no, I'm definitely glad you can join us. One of the reasons, like, we wanted to have you was because I think – this last year, watching your Instagram blow up in a big way, um, going from like a couple hundred uh, followers to now like what over two thousand you're pushing? Yeah, almost. Uh, I'm almost getting to three. Yeah, you're almost getting to three, which I feel like it's such a hard thing, like with Instagram, to try to like generate that. But not only that, looking at some of what your own personal growth is going on, where you went from like a nine hundred sub nine hundred rated player to now you're pushing nine forties and nine fifties, which it's something that we always try to talk about where it's like, this is the growth. This is the journey. And I feel like the people that are tuning into Jammers in the Rough are people that are experiencing this journey. So the more we can talk about these steps forward, I think they're huge. And so I thought Tai would be this perfect guest because you're doing it on both platforms, which is, you know, growing yourself socially and then growing yourself in the game. So is there anyone that you wanted to talk a little bit more about with, you know, just tips and tricks, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's been it's been crazy. It's been really interesting to try to take both routes and put a lot of energy towards both. Most people will just like focus on one lane. Um, I kind of told myself if I want to not only leverage my opportunities to grow as a content creator and get sponsors, I need to also be out there you know, training every single day like I am a pro and dedicating all my time towards it. So that's been like my whole life for the last, I guess, year and a half now. Um, the first year was like anybody trying to figure out what plastic is. And now that I'm kind of in past that phase, it's just all about the grind. <laughs> so I have a coach for distance. I, I work with, I go down to Bandon, Oregon, and work with Slingshot Disc Golf, AKA Coach T, every single weekend. Um, and yeah, it's just, I post two to three times a day, usually reels, and it's just a, a never ending cycle. <laughs> well, you mentioned uh, Slingshot uh coaching which is getting a little little bit of heat maybe a lot of misunderstanding in regards to kind of what you're showing i saw one of your clips where you were teaching how to throw off the back leg and then holland hanley came out this last week and they showed that they've been working on throwing off this back leg and i feel like there's this big misconception that you know because i think when you slow it down and you're teaching people and you're showing people you make it look like it's all this one thing where in reality it becomes like mechanical and there's a lot more to it than just, Oh, I'm rotating my back leg. My hips are getting engaged. Um, did you want to talk a little bit? Cause I feel like there's a lot of heat coming down on both you and like Hanley for a lot of misunderstanding. So I thought what better place than here to kind of talk about some of that and clear, but I also feel like 
that video took off and was seen by so many people in general as well. Like, yeah, it's like almost up to 70k views. So yeah, exactly. it got great traction as far as that. And I just want to, you know, give a huge thank you to Hall and Hanley. I think that was amazing that she could come out with something like that and just be ready for all the skepticism that comes with it. Because I would get a DM a day about how I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> which is fine, you know, that's just how it goes. Everyone is entitled to their opinion. But um, I have found, I've always come from the world of athletics. Before disc golf, it was discus throwing. I was really into it. And so I trained it six hours a day. I had an amazing coach who, um, her son was an Olympian. So I just essentially have always learned that preloading on the back leg was always a super key component to throwing. Um, disc golf, I don't think is any different. I believe that throwing off the back leg is proper to set yourself up, not only to load your weight, um, but to use every bit of loaded power out into your throw. Um, when biomechanically, when you're using your back leg to power the throw, you have so much more load and torque that you can essentially build up instead of replacing that with shifting your weight through. There is, somewhat of a weight shift, but it doesn't happen until the actual disc is out of the hand. Um, and so I've been able to find great success with doing it. I've gone from like 100% power, 410, had everything like into it, to somebody who's throwing like 510 now with a little bit of tailwind, of course, with about 80% power. So it's been it's been super instrumental for me to be able to do it in this. The big thing is not always distance, right? There's so much more to the game than just being able to throw far. So the biggest caveat to Slingshot, and then one of the biggest things I throw him is he's been able to teach me easy power, which most people tend to have a really hard time with. Like I, Yeah. I was going to say, like, people have a hard time with, but also I feel like everybody hears it. They just don't necessarily know what it means when people are talking about, like, oh, don't try so hard. Don't think about it so much or, you know – don't don't try like don't try don't try hard because there's always those people that are like let me grab a disc let me rip and like one of the biggest things like i hate because i did strongman i'm a bigger guy people are like oh Paige, because you're so strong that's why you throw far and it's like that discredits all of the work that i put in and the effort and my form because you're like oh page stronger page throw far and it takes away like some of this mechanics from it and i think with what you're talking about too it's like there's a whole like mechanical side to what you're doing and the scientific side to it, what you're trying to get into, which is to um, take away injury, which is to try to focus on like good transfer of power that's going to allow sustainability. It's taking the, oh, let me rip a 500 you know foot throw with all of my strength. And it's like, I'm using my levers as they're supposed to be designed and how my body flows. And you're starting to have those conversations. But the most important part is that you have this, coach that is unbiased working mechanically with you to make these adjustments based off your body and it's not something like i said like i think the biggest thing that i've seen in you and hanley's video like the 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 coolest thing is that you're showing how you guys are practicing it but that's also the biggest thing because people are like oh that's all they're doing and they're missing like all of like the subtleties of it yeah yeah i came out with a follow-up video which most people didn't gravitate towards um, but it's how to properly follow through. And there's so many issues with how people follow through because of weight transferring. Um, it, I think weight transferring gets a very loose term in this sport where it's like there is a there is a weight transfer, but it's all about the time of when that weight transfer is supposed to occur. Um, 
And so I came out with that video and it was properly kind of showing that it's more of a reaction that we actually follow through it so that we can lengthen that time to be able to displace torque. That way we're not actually injuring ourselves because if we just hit a wall and stop, obviously we're going to put torque in places that we don't want. So we have to essentially elongate that amount of time that torque is displaced and that the energy is going away. Um, and so it was, a, I think I got a lot more positive feedback coming from that video. Um, but of course the numbers were uh, probably about a third less yeah. in the video put out for that. But yeah, more, there's going to be a lot more videos coming. Um, but I mean, most of the time, I just send people the slingshot disc golf YouTube page because he has already a ton of stuff he's already put out. But yeah, well, I think about it too. Like one of the the craziest things for a sport such as disc golf is the amount of people that don't have coaching and become self-taught, and then they rely so heavily on YouTube videos, but to help form their opinions on how something should be, and then once they form those opinions, they're so pigeonholed into thinking this is the only way because this is what i discovered self-discovery and that this is like so anything that questions that like becomes so like no that's wrong you're wrong because it's like well how many of those like haters are actually over a thousand rated how many of those people are over even like 950 or 900 rated you start to look at the the most like the average players of like ratings oregon had the highest at 870 and that's the highest average rating among PDGA players of all the states, which means you're going to have a large group of 820 to, you know, 870 for averaging. So it's like, you're the ones that are like going onto these forums and maybe saying like, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, but they're not doing the extra step, which is what you're doing, which is going to a coach. I think last week Stokely talked about the Stokely method and, was talking a lot about like his coaching way, but how important it is to like just get to somebody to be watching you and talking with you and helping make these corrections because like you're gonna save time, effort, and injury like listening to these things. And but yeah, so I, I did want to kind of give some spotlight to to some of the things that I've been seeing this last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's it's interesting that a lot of players think that they're actually throwing with like loaded power in their throw but a lot of times they're just weight shifting and then coming through with their arm most of the times which is a very unnatural movement to be putting your elbow through your shoulder through if anything the burn that you usually get out of your arm is typically like a calisthenic burn because it's holding there it's unfolding and coming back um but these are all things that you typically learn within the slingshot method but when i slowed my form down that was the first thing i noticed i was like fully shifting over, my arm was coming through, I was essentially throwing with a complete upper body mechanic. Um, and now it's greatly reduced to just being more so it's back legs, the weight is happening because of reaction, my arm is actually lagging behind creating lag. So that's, I just think super crucial for most people is how to learn how to create lag. Um, which this sport is far behind I think where it should be <laughs> so I get a lot of flack for trying to teach people what I would like to call proper mechanics but again there's lots of different methods out there yeah definitely yeah when I uh when I first started oh we lost someone when I first uh started learning the mechanics of like the follow through like that that spinning part like right at the end where you spin your body through uh, I originally started not being able to balance my weight very well. And 
my follow through looked like I was trying to jump on a giant ass bear. Like, it would just throw and just jump forward. I mean, it went far, but wasn't uh, straight. Why did you pick a bear? I, I just want to know why you said jump on a giant because bear. Like it could I, have been on anything, but you said a giant bear. Because I, if I'm gonna go out of this world, I want it to be in one way, and that is fighting a bear, but with my hands. That's my same. That's the same exact thing that I have. So Brother. both of you want to leave this earth fighting a bear. You don't want to. No, if it happens, if it happens. For me, it's wrestling. <laughs> so boxing a bear or fighting it? Like, are we talking boxing or like? I said Rattling. wrestling, not boxing. So obviously not boxing. Well, that's what I'm asking. <laughs> I was very specific, Cody. <laughs> that's that's why I ask questions. Not I MMA, not jiu-jitsu. <laughs> Mine is just straight street rules. I'll bite. I'll pluck its <laughs> eyes out. I don't care. I want to wrestle a bear, and if I survive it, I'll be a better man because of it. And if I don't, that man died by a bear. You're gonna so I'm okay you. with that. <laughs> Your kids could say, yeah, my dad died fighting a bear. All right. Boom. History. I'll make it in the books. <laughs> I have uh going back to disc golf and not bear fighting. Uh I have noticed anytime I slow down, like if I go out and do field work, anytime I slow down, usually I get farther just because I'm really thinking about like shifting. And I've been watching Slingshot a lot lately, just and he was talking about how it should almost be like uh you should be tired. If you're waiting on your back foot and swinging through, he said you're gonna feel kind of tired from doing it. But if I'm just pulling for my arm, you're not gonna feel anything. So I thought that was a pretty interesting way. It really made me think about kind of like if I was swinging a baseball bat, we teach kids to load on your back foot and yeah. swing through. So yeah. I've been trying to really slow it down and think, create that lag where I'm twisting my body and my arm just comes with it. So yeah. it's, it's, it's real similar in the baseball um, in the baseball swing, but also like within the discus throw, you, you load everything onto the back leg but your lower body always has to go faster than your upper body. That's essentially what helps create lag is that there has to be two different timing mechanisms with both lower and upper in order for the arm to actually lag behind. And then if this is loose, that's, that's a hard thing for most people. It's like, they don't believe I can have a tight grip, but a loose arm. Like they're like, Oh, once you essentially flex these, these digits, everything out here is going to be super, super flexed and that's when you start getting people that are like really trying to muscle throws um it's a bit of finesse i've had to really learn how to like feel the tight like grip a disc pretty tight have a loose arm and so i can still have a whiff that comes through um but it's it's really really a key component in slingshot to be able to have a super loose arm um, because we are trying to create our arms into that whiff um where at the very end it essentially has all the torque and all the power coming out yeah, I'm like one. I'm like I'll go 99.9 percent .9 positive that when I do my follow through, like because I'm gripping it, this thing is this thing is rock. There's no moving around. There's no flopping. That is a a stick that I throw that way. <laughs> yeah, I will say too. Like that's something I've been actually. I've been working on like when I grab a distance driver, or, like on the tee, like. I would really be like loose, but it's like, yeah, you can have a grip and still be loose. And that's been helping with my distances in general, creating more of that, that whip aspect to it. I will say too, like out of all of the videos out there, nobody questions like, Oh, this sorry guys. Sorry. My wind is ridiculous <laughs> outside and my internet keeps getting, my internet keeps getting cut out. But what I was saying is like, Simon will put out a video. Nobody questions it. Paul Macbeth. 
<laughs> is, is one of his kids outside with like holding up an antenna for a wire? It's, it's, it's a wind. It's, it's a windy day in Portland, and this man, he's gonna get blown away. So my point is, just like it's so crazy that, like, you have a pro posting out this video, and people are all of a sudden just like, "You're so wrong, absolutely not." And one of the big things that we talk about is there's no one way to throw a disc. There's no ultimate technique. There's no this is the one because you go to Europe and you watch how them all thrown this what's comfortable movement with them and it looks so unorthodox. You look at like a Maddie O and he's so unorthodox compared to people. Like there's no one like one size fits all way to throw. And the reason like I wanted to bring like have like Tai talk about this because this is alternative method that if you were to try, you don't know if it's gonna work until you try it and you don't know if it's what you've been missing. But here's a method that somebody that's roughly 300 pounds he's he's posting daily feet pics by the way guys about his weight loss journey so i know how much he weighs he's like 294 292 i thought you were um, talking about yourself no, no 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 but so pics? here's here's feet a big pics. guy that's working on losing some weight and being a big guy impact is a very real thing when you're 300 pounds and you take a step and you plant and you rip that's 300 pounds of force on top of what that driving force is and then your joints hurt, your hips hurt, your elbows hurt, just because of the sheer force of moving. And so here he is talking about like some of this like injury prevention through this new method that now all of a sudden it's not hurting to throw. And not only that, he's strengthening himself through it, which is how many people can generally say that they're strengthening themselves with each throw. Um, I don't think there's a lot of people because a lot of times, like you said, like you're just like generating this this whip and this rip and you're not generating any speed. You're not generating any strength. You're not breaking any muscles down. You're just going through emotion versus like, here's a very intentional way of not only strengthening, but taking away some of this injury. So I think for me in the spirit of like jammers in the rough showing different mythologies, this is an important one to really shine some light on. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Yeah, I, well said. I think it's, I think what Cody was saying, slowing down is so, so important for, especially when people are getting into slingshot method, because anytime you add speed into things, it's always going to leave the, um, the option for mechanics to suffer. I mean, the faster you go, I'm sure we all can attest to it is like your mechanics are a lot harder to essentially get completely right. So for me, I, I have not thrown a, a 100% all I got throw probably for the last five months um, since I've been working with Coach Steele. Like he has me under 80% for everything um, just because it's every single timing mechanism of the throw is really meticulous. Like the arms have a different timing than the actual core component. The core is different than the legs. Like when you have all these different timing components that you're trying to get down, you have to work at them in tiny batches and then slow yourself down as you go. And it, eventually it all gets familiar, right? You build all these muscle memory to be able to get all these components down and then you're ripping discs. Um, a lot of people like go back to watch like the Simon Lazat and Eagle McMahon clinic video when they talked about the rubber band effect. And this is that, I think the missing link that most people don't have um, is they don't know how to create that rubber band. Whereas like me and Slingshot, this is all we teach. We teach this constantly to people all the time. And he's a full-time disc golf coach. So he's teaching this to multiple people across the world. Um, even though like, in Europe, he's in Finland and Sweden teaching people this method. So it's 
it's starting to pick up a lot of traction big time. Yeah, even though it's wrong, it's getting a lot of traction. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Right. I, uh, I, I'm one of the biggest missions is to set out and prove this method to be 100% true. My goal is eventually to be hitting like 650 um, in my backhand throw. In four months, I've gone over 100 feet. I need to lose probably another 90 pounds. I think we can do it. So it's just a matter of when. I know I can do it. It's just a matter of when and um, just getting the mechanics done. No, I mean, I think that's a lofty goal. I think we're in a very special state that it's kind of like almost disadvantageous to learn how to throw far in like a lot of regards. Like, you know, you throw 650, that's going to ruin your short game a lot. Like not, not, not that it's not an important aspect to get, but it's like, Oh, then all of a sudden like 350 becomes an awkward distance. 280 is a really awkward distance and things like that. Because I constantly say, I don't think we need 400 feet and over in our state. You can get by on 90% of our courses with that. Not that it's not difficult, not technical. Like they're just, you don't need to throw far, even like on our like pro level courses, outside of like Glendivere when it's in there the PDX open layout um you don't need to throw over 400 feet controlled and so not saying like it's a wrong goal I'm just saying like oh yeah like being kind of aware of some of those things like when you talk about like you know getting away like from distances and looking at like what the short game do because you're also it's important that you're chasing that 650 goal but it also is translating to this different style of play like for yourself and I think that's pretty pretty awesome to see yeah, what do you think? I, what, what do you think that magical distance is? That if someone is able to reach this, you know, X far, um, that they, if they were consistent, accurate, could compete with some of the top tier pro level players who are bombing like say six hundred feet. So you can't get six hundred feet. Most people can't. What What do you think that 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 special distance is? Is it four fifty? Is it five hundred? I like to keep you in the game. I'm competing against some of the some of the bigger arms in the league. Okay. Yeah, I think I think like 450, 475 is is that special number that most people really try to get to. But it's the consistent factor that most people lack. It's like, yeah, I can go out to a field and throw 475 out of maybe 20 rips, and I hit it once. It's like these top tier pros are hitting 475 maybe like 15 to 18 times out of 20. So getting to the consistent distance, that's that's super key. And I think, like, me and Coach T still work on short games. Like, that's a huge component to, like I said, distance is not everything. It is huge when you're on Pro Tour, especially at certain select courses that you need it. But, again, like, I think Paige's point is super key there, where it's, like, your short game has to be focused on just as much as, like, your distance game. But, yeah, 450, 475, I think that is – I think that's super key. I would say uh, 500 feet to me is that magic number, especially as you're starting to look at these par threes. Like some of the like the long ones are stretching out, being like 480, 470 par threes. If you can start to throw 500 feet controlled, I think that those 480, 470 par threes become scorable. And then when you jump up to par fours, 500. You shouldn't need to throw over 500 feet for a lot of the par fours that exist because 500 plus 400 is 900, and that's usually going to be like most par fours. It's like some of those shapes and the controls um control shots that come with that so that's kind of my answer for some of that but what i've noticed as well is like so i've reached 527 i broke the 500 club recently which is was a huge step for me um but now i start to have some panics at awkward distances like last week and i was on a golf course um 
and I threw roughly like 420 off the tee, tee box. I step up and I have like 270 to the basket, but behind the basket is a river out of bounds. And then in front of it, about 50 feet was OB green. So I really had to be plus minus five feet. And now all of a sudden I'm stepping up to this and I'm like, 270 is awkward. Normally I would take an FD3, throw it, you know, high hyzer, but there's a tree in the way. I got to throw straight at it. Do I want to grab my mid range or my putter? You know, and I'm starting to panic because it's an awkward distance. And I grab my putter and I throw it 230 right into the ground. And thankfully it was on the safe side, but it's like, okay, there goes the easy birdie. I did it. Like I got it off the tee well, but now I have this like lack of birdie because like this awkward distance that I gave myself. So sometimes like realizing too, being like, I would rather be 300 feet or I would rather be 220 feet and sometimes figuring out what that control starts to look like. But that's where like, for me, like talking about that short game, is like, that's something I still need to start to figure out because now all of a sudden when I get put out of my element, which is not Oregon golf on a golf course, I, I freeze at some of these awkward distance that call for like, it didn't, you know, very simple things that um, I just haven't worked on in a long time because we don't even have those par fours here in Oregon that force you to work on them. Yeah, I, 500. Yeah, I do a ton of field work. So it's like my short game to long game is always super hyper-focused, hyper which I think a lot of people that are in that like 875 and below kind of guys, anybody that's like 900 and below, there's a few select that are kind of in that top component 875 to 900 that do work and do field work for the short game um but there's a there's a whole lot of them that that's as far as they can push um and so that short game in a sense becomes much shorter for them so for people i guess that are throwing for over 400 very consistently like i consider myself that one of those people um it's i don't know how awkward it is at least for me just because i work on it so damn much <laughs> But it's uh, it's it's just one of those things where I think people neglect field time, especially with the short game shots. Because you go to the field, most of the time, the, the conception is I just want to throw long drives instead of just being like, no, I'm going to work all my mids and my putters and work everything from like 350 and in. So. Yeah, no, that's where like I like my field work because I have like four trees that are from anywhere from like 260 all the way to like 380 and then anything past that is when I'm opening up my arms and it's just like, okay, cool. I got these like little pegs. I'll bring my rangefinder out and ping them and start to work on that. But as you're talking about field work, I think what I noticed like on your Instagram feed is this alternative. Every time I talk is this alternative to field work um, that you started doing. So everyone like, I don't like, like field work a lot. So I treat my practice rounds like my field work. So I'll throw four or five shots from every tee. Um, and I'll work on that that way. Uh, but I do get field work in. Everyone's aware of what field work is, but what I saw you, you doing this year is, Hey, here's a fence. I don't have a net and I don't necessarily have this, uh, field to continue to work on, but I need to work on my form. So I'm going to throw my discs into this fence. And so for me, what I realized is I'm so reliant on the flight of my disc, on how I make adjustments. Um, when you take that away and you're using a, a, a fence or a net, how do you start to make adjustments and how do you start to become aware of some of those things? Because I think that was a very unique uh, workaround that not everybody maybe is aware of, but is an important one because it's a workaround that you can do. So, yeah, yeah. So before, you, before you answer that question, to clarify, it's you are standing a short distance from a fence and just throwing your disc into the fence like a net but he didn't have a net 
because he's yeah. he's a broke right. celebs with no per cap. Like, <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, the 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 net situation is is covered up now. Oh, and I know now I'm talking about God damn, that's why it's mentioned back in the past. I know you're sponsored by a net company. Cool. <laughs> no, no, no. But um it's funny just because the, the the whole fence situation actually came up out of just making a funny video and then like you said, Paige, it kind of just became a necessity because I need to get I need to get rips and, and reps in when I don't have a field to go and play in or anywhere else I can go without damaging property around the left here. Um, but I was always doing it with one disc or I have like a mid range and a driver that I always use. But for me, finding that distance, um, is always down to feel. So I'm always like trying to get back to that feeling of throwing a 250 shot or a 350 shot. Um, I've worked really, really hard about going to like one of my local courses and specifically not even playing around, just going to certain holes that I know, okay, this is 250. This is 300, this is 375, and I do 100 shots at it. And the feeling I get from when I get within circle one, that feeling can tra easily translate for me in my backyard throwing into the fence because mm. it's the feeling because it's a, essentially now it's muscle memory. Um, I think a lot of people don't take that route and like they do what you're saying most of the time is when you go out to play your course, you throw like four or five rips um, on a certain hole. So you get kind of a micro dose of that feeling. But when you truly put a lot, a lot of work in a couple hours into just that specific pull to understand what that throwing mechanic feels like, that's where I get to. And that's where I've put a lot of hours into that. But it's uh I don't think I don't think your way is any wrong either. I think oh. as long as you're doing it multiple times and properly getting that feeling down, like anybody can do that. But at least for me that's that's how it's no, and I think you're absolutely right. So I think you're touching on two different things that I hear. It's one, especially with like the introduction of Bushnell and the range finders, um, disc golf has become a lot more analytical. We're looking at numbers and we're using those numbers to justify our feelings and we're getting away from an intuition. Whereas like what you're saying is this very intuition based like throwing, which is, you know, muscle memory, which is like, leaning on it i don't think anything was right or wrong because everyone's different me i'm a very intuition based person and because of that i challenge myself to be more analytical because my default is intuition so then i'm working a deficit and i'm learning how to like operate on a foreign press and then default to my intuition and that helps me out a lot and that's what i've learned with like you know magic the gathering and everything like that that trust my gut trust my intuition but also challenge myself to realize why I'm doing it this analytical way and what I'm doing. So I try to like encompass a little bit both of them. But the fact that I think you're aware of some of that and having these conversations, I think is important because not everybody else is aware of where they maybe stand on this like scale and how I start to like fit in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just got rid of the, rid of the freaking range finder. Cause I was like, not only is it like, for me, it takes away the intuition, takes away the muscle memory factor and a little bit of just like the trust that I have within my throw. Um, I don't know. That's just my, my dealio. I know. I mean, I, I lost mine, uh, or well, mine got stolen before nationals, not this year, but last year. And so I spent all year without it. And all of a sudden I have these distances and these gauges like dialed in and I know like, okay, cool. Like I can throw my mid range there, but let me grab a more overstable FD three because that goes as far as that mid range. And let me throw it that way. And it's not like, Oh, two seventy. let me throw this. Now that I got a range finder again, it's having to relearn that tool without, 
forgetting the other tool I developed for the last year. Yeah. See, I like using the range finder to like uh, set my markers, like when I'm just practicing, like figure out like, oh, that tree right there is going to be this, the like the 375 mark. The bass is at 325. And so if I'm just on a practice round, and I go to a certain hole that I like to just sit, sit at for a while. I'm just throwing at different things. That range finder definitely helps that knowing that getting that feeling of like, all right, this is that 375 shot. This is the 300 shot. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like the range finder for that reason. And in courses, I'm blind to. I don't got the intuition yet. I yeah. feel like a, a, a basket's a thousand miles down the course, and it's actually like 100 feet. That's where, like, I mean, huh. my depth perception is still off. Like, I have a gauge of things, and I can be like, but my depth, when I, you put me on a golf course, it's like, that thing looks 400 fucking feet away, and it's like 280. I'm like, what the fuck is that? Like, <laughs> how do I throw my putter that far? And then you throw, like, you're like, so I'm going to throw a mid range because I don't trust I can throw my putter that far. And then you sail, like, you're like, yep, that was 280. What the fuck was I thinking? <laughs> That's my problem. <laughs> it's. I've always just gone towards like the just put the work in mindset. Oh my god, hard work! I get it, rock. <laughs> I, I just work harder than everybody else, so I don't have to worry about those things. Yeah, because I'm not out here working fucking hard, Tai. <laughs> Whatever. Put in hard work, guys. Tai solved life's problems right here. Work hard. What is happening? Totally. This is totally just for my own, like my own say. I think it's just I gravitate towards a lot more of just instead of using a range finder, getting that in, intuition. And so that's just that's just my deal. I'm not saying that you guys don't work hard. I've seen Paige work his ass off to get as far as he is. So it's like I I I know how it goes. It's just that uh, for my for myself, that's always what I gravitate towards. Is like just go out and put six seven hours that day into your craft instead of. You know, I could be sitting on my couch watching this golf. I'd rather be outside playing. So. And if, if people wanted to go watch you work hard, Tai, uh, where would they go look look for you at? On Instagram? Yeah, so Instagram is mostly where I produce a lot of my content right now. Um, but you can find me across social media platforms that, you know, my handle, Tai Relatus Disc Golf. So, um, but Instagram. Okay, right here. Instagram is going to be that that essential space that I'm trying to work all of my creative content towards and branded content. What made you choose Instagram to be like your main one? Yeah, um, YouTube is a beast. Um, <laughs> it's just a super, super heavy beast to try to tackle, which um, I have a couple of videos that I've thrown up on YouTube and I plan to eventually grow that. Um, but it just seemed like a lot of people that I was noticing in the disc golf world gravitated towards Instagram. And when you look at Instagram versus like TikTok, um, I think TikTok is nowhere near the numbers it should be for disc golfers, which it kind of seems like an open lane, but it's really hard to grow on TikTok as a disc golfer within the disc golf niche. It's, it's really interesting. I've tried it. Um, the amount of followers I'm getting at least right now per day do not translate to TikTok by any means. And so, and when you look at the studies, TikTok is like seven cents per follower. When you look at it as a customer, Instagram is 77 cents per customer. When you look at that um, as a follower. So the, the value you get out of an Instagram follower is so much greater than a TikTok follower. So for me, I've just always gravitated towards Instagram. Oh, yeah. 
No, and I, I have realized, like, too, like, the more analytics like, I work with, like, so, like, some of my background, I work at a tribal epidemiology center for the last, like, three and a half years, and we do, like, a platform, but Instagram, for the last, like, five or six years has always been our biggest, like, payoff, the most interaction, and I feel like that's where that, you know, 70 cents, like, you, that's where you're going to have interactions on Instagram, whereas Facebook, you generate a little bit more towards, like, some of the older crowd, um, and TikTok a little bit more of the younger crowd, so there's that, like, little even separation with that, and I feel like if we're to look at, like, not only, like, the average disc golfer where, you know, you look at rating, we look at the average age of disc golfer, I think a lot of people talk about how really they're, like, these 30 to 50-year-olds that are playing disc golf right now because it hasn't hit all of those younger, not that there's not young people that play, but TikTok gravitating towards younger, so that could be why you don't see necessarily as many. And Instagram has this wonderful platform that kind of captures both young and old, you know, all together. So it's always like that big payoff. Um, but Ooh. I do want to shift just a little bit because we are officially in the off season and this off season, you have everybody scrambling, um, begging, pleading to get sponsors. Um, one of your big sponsors that you just switched from was AGL to RPM. So AGL is a local kind of West Coast company that has their discs made by Gateway, um, but they're local. Like, well, local, like local as in West Coast in the United States. RPM is an Australian-based company that is trying to grow their roots here more in America. So you had the owner of RPM that's on the tour trying to, like, do the kind of growing aspect of it. So I wanted to ask Tai, why would you choose to leave AGL for like, what was the drawing factor of RPM, and how has that been treating you? Because, yeah, it's just, and they're both smaller manufacturers, but, like, you wanted to go all in on here versus, like, even, like, you know, like, people, now everybody in their cat sponsored by Lone Star Disc Golf, but you had the Prodigy Street team, the Disc Golf, or the Disc Craft Street team. You're like, let me go here to RPM. What what kind of drew you? Yeah. Um. So I, I applied to be with AGL again. Um, and and I, I'm not going to go super into detail just because I, I love those guys. I never want to talk bad about any type of company. Um, they just didn't decide to work with me no more. So that they essentially made my decision. Um, and then well, when I was like, no, I'm kidding. They <laughs> <laughs> well, didn't want me, Paige. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, you know, so it's like, I don't, I don't really know what to say there. It's just, you know, maybe they, you know, saw some better talent or whatever that geared them towards their company more. I'm not sure. Um, but I'll, I just no longer going to be working with them at least for the next season. And so um, RPM actually approached me. I got recruited um, a little bit by them. And so I was like, this, this opportunity is just kind of falling into my lap. Um, and RPM gravitates to me so much more as I'm sure as you know, like trying to grow as an indigenous based content creator and disc golfer um having indigenous roots within a company entices me so much more it aligns with my brand um some of the things that i'm trying to grow as a person and trying to grow out there as branded content and so um rpm is amazing i absolutely love working with them i love their plastic i love some of the stuff that they're coming out with um as you guys probably see cody he's holding one of the pika pika i mean that's that's a solid, solid mold, especially for a lot of beginner throwers and some of those advanced level throwers that know how to shape shots. But it's like there's there's a lot with RPM that uh, to me is super enticing. Just as an indigenous, um, 
so the name RPM, are you familiar with like the roots? Is it because like disco fast? So they're like RPM, boom, or like is there actually like deeper meaning to it? Not not too entirely sure. I just know that the big thing is, you know, it's in their nature. That's what they always talk about. That's like their their um, their big thing they try to always push out. You know, they want to be nature based. They a lot of their names come from like their indigenous roots and names of the animals. Um, mostly all raptors or birds, right? And so it's uh, they are. I, th- I just think big time. They're one of those companies that's going to start to blow up really fast, and I'm really really excited to be a part of that journey. Um, I mean, I've, I've gotten DMs from Jacko himself and just like, hey, man, you're killing it, um, stuff like that. And it's been really, really cool to see that uh, from a company. Whereas, you know, other companies I worked with in the past, I might not have gotten that so much. So. Feldberg has a disc, an RPM disc. Yeah, yeah. So they, they have some cool people that have reached out to them and have done some cool, you know, sweet dance and stuff. But, uh, I mean, their their notable guy is going to be Jack O'Sullivan. I mean, he's their like first thousand rate guy in New Zealand. He's like the only thousand rate guy in New Zealand, um, so he's like their guy, and it's really cool. But yeah, I mean, Drew Gibson was just there and did a bunch with them. Um, Stokely's there now in Australia doing a bunch with them, bunch with them as well. And I mean, it's it's been really really cool. Every company that I've worked with overseas has been so amazing. Not to say that the companies I do work side have been great but it's just this really unique relationship working with people that are completely across our borders it's just been such a fun experience well i think there's that like different mindset of like i feel like companies here in the state side is more of like you're lucky to be with us whereas once you're accepted into like these other like you know maybe foreign companies are more like this is our family and we're inclusive like that's one of the things like even agl being a little bit smaller i i saw some like ma1 like ma1 players getting a tour series disc which was kind of cool and they would have these like little supportive things like that those little things go a long way it's not like like lone star for example where they gave everybody a contract and like well here's four free discs now 90 percent of your bag has to be lone star like oh i don't know if that's a very beneficial like sponsorship as much as it's just like you know i'm sure there's a lot more to it and that there's growing i don't want to badmouth them it's just an, like the, the the most like pertinent like example that i've seen but it's like, oh, yeah, here's somebody that's, like, welcoming into you, senior content. Like, one of my favorite things with Birdie is, like, Derek will reach out to me, who's, like, one of the co-owners of Birdie Disc Golf. And he'll be like, Paige, thanks for the content. This is great. Like, I love seeing this stuff. Like, those little things, like, to me, like, it's like, okay, cool. Like, you don't have to reach out. You don't have to say anything because I'm doing this, like, no matter what. But he's just like, no, he's thoughtful of it. And I think that that's where, like, for me, like, going back to Birdie for 2023 – was really what sold me on some of that because it's like I'm having dialogue, I'm having conversations, I'm a part of like the team. Like I want to be a part of the team, um, not just like oh I'm sponsored by somebody that has no idea who I am. <laughs> yeah. Sure. No. Yeah. What What are their pla- like? I don't know their plastics. Like this feels pretty good. It seems like lustry champ. If you know Inaba. Yeah. Yeah, so um, essentially they go from Strata, which is going to be like your baseline, Magma, that's going to be like your premium putting plastic. Uh, then you have Atomic, that's going to be like Star. That's what it's, it's really interesting that like our premium in RPM is kind of like that third tier, whereas Innova, that's kind of like their, their, one of their higher tiers for premium plastic. But yeah, Atomic, and then you have Cosmic, Glow, and then Platinum. Um, but that specific plastic you're holding, I'm pretty sure is cosmic. So it's like kind of the fourth tier 
really, really solid. Well, I would say like, is RPM like a big Pokemon fan? You have the Pika, and then every single plastic that you just named was like one of the bad guys in a Pokemon game. Team Magma, <laughs> Team Platinum, Team Rocket. Like, is it just like, is there so like Pokemon based? I know it doesn't say Rocket, but I'm just saying like Cosmic, like Team Cosmic, Team Magma. Like those are like, I feel like legit like bad guys in Pokemon games. I'm just saying. I think, I think some people could probably make the uh, conspiracy theory about it for sure i i've, I've heard, heard it, once heard it here first guys jeffers in the row <laughs> but, it says uh, one r what does that mean one r one r um yeah their their flight numbers are are a little interesting there's like um a couple different um like letters that the actual flight numbers and such so i got you um but for the most part if you read them just like anything um like plus or minus in that sense they're real similar well since it's australian do you have to like read them upside down they only spin the wrong way. If you forehand, they go left. They go backwards or opposite, right? Yeah. It's like the toilet goes around the other way. I got you. All, RPM, all I got things backwards. Is, all I gotta say is once you once you grab them, you're not gonna want to, you know, keep them out of your bag. You're not gonna want them. That's all I heard. <laughs> yeah, I've grabbed a couple RPM discs and never good. once been bought. I haven't no. grabbed it yet. Feels good. It looks like the Mantra, to be honest. It looks like it'll fly similar to that. You got to give us a review, Cody. This Mantra? Yeah, that Mantra. Oh, Look, they're mantra. very similar. Yeah, I. they're solid, though. I bag seven of their molds right now. But yeah. I, I highly believe in their plastic. And they're an open bag sponsorship. They're very, very... Um, What's their like, almost like small diameter throwing putter that everybody just absolutely loves? Dewey. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's time, man. That's yeah, where, like, one, like, it's transcended RPM, where I've, I actually see people, like, throwing them outside of just, you know, RPM players, which is kind of yeah. cool to see, because that's where it's, like, normally I pay attention, right? Like, if I see somebody with an open bag and they're throwing a buzz, it's like, oh, yeah, that's a good mid-range. If I see somebody, you know, like, so you pick those brands, and that's where I've seen, like, RPM the most was that that, that throwing putter. Yeah. Three, yeah, we four, never... minus 1.5. So pretty yeah. straight. Yeah, super, super, super straight. Um, they have a big saying in New Zealand: "It's Tui time." Um, but essentially, it's when they, when you're throwing the Tui, it's like you can pop it on a baby hyzer, flips up the flap for those those short, like smaller arms. They say, as you say, um, guys who are throwing like 350 and below, um, it flies like dead straight. For some of the guys that are throwing above that, you know, the mechanics are a little more dialed. You're throwing it, you know, on hyzer, flipping up flat and slightly panning to that right. So it's just Really, really solid throwing putter. I just switched to uh, a different putting putter. I was putting with AGL Manzanitas, and now I'm putting with uh, the you know the RPM Sockets, and they are very, very money. Much like a like a Faith or a Luna, kind of in between. Yeah, kind of the cool. standard, like a little bit deeper, rounder, like P2 flies. I, I think a honestly, Ruru? the Ruru is uh, going to be real similar to like an AGL Madrone. It has a very blunt edge to it, kind of micro bead. Um, it's very round, like round upper plate, round bottom plate. Um, fits really comfortable in the hand. I, I don't personally bag it, but I know a lot of people that absolutely love them. So. Mm -hmm. Huh. So yeah, the, I think the best comparison for the Sakafu is going to be like a P2. Like I, I put the P2 in my hand and put it you know, side by side with it. It feels super, super dead similar. So it's, I think it's a very, very goaded putter. It just hasn't got out to the market as much. Well, 
I know we're kind of slowly coming to an end. And before we move to final thoughts, I did want to ask you kind of one final question in regards to like your 2023 season. So some of you guys don't know, like Tai has been on this journey. We talked a lot of like a little bit about like some of his growth and how that's come about what some of the things that he's promoting. Um, but some of that growth has been like a sub 900 rated player to now he's pushing nine forties and he's on like track for next year to kind of have that breakthrough season. And so not only does he have a weight loss goal, but I wanted to kind of like see what some of your like tangible goals maybe for the 2023 season are starting to look like. Yeah. Um, kind of right now, like you mentioned losing weight. So it's like losing 50 pounds, getting to 250, being a lot more athletic and having a little more stamina in the tank. Um, I want to get up to like 980, 970 before I make that jump and then move on to open. Um, so that's that's going to be a huge goal of mine. And then always is putting. I want to do about 215,000 putts in training. That's kind of the goal right now. This up to at least like season one through season two, I've done 275,000. That's what I've tracked in my putting journal. Um, and so gearing up to kind of push that number almost within just a whole season. Um, that's going to be huge in the tournaments. I'm trying to do 30, 35 plus. Um, this is a lot of grind, dude. It's, 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 uh, you know, growing as a disc golfer, um, on this side of things as a content creator is very, very tough to do, but I feel like I've kind of found a, a really, a really, really good system to be able to kind of grow myself here. So now next season is much more side of like the actual game. But content's never going to lack. I'm definitely going to be putting out more videos and, and much more enticing stuff. But it's, uh, yeah, my game needs kind of that more of attention at least for next season. Nice. No, and it's just kind of like embrace the grind mentality, right? Like, I feel like disc golf is one of those things, like, if you're going to take it a little bit serious, you're going to see such rapid growth that it's it's easy to fall in love with that because you're like oh i just threw further today i threw a little bit further today oh i got this birdie like you start to like rapidly grow and it's easy to fall in love with that but then you're going to get to this spot in your game and i think this is where i'm hitting um a little bit where it's like okay cool you've reached this 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 kind of peak how are you going to get to the next level and the only way to get there is to grind it's to get that putting practice in get those field work in get those throws get consistent take the beatings smile move on adjust like all these things are going to happen but embracing that grind to it because this is where you start to fall in love with the monotony of that grind as like compared to like falling in love with the game that love is already there now can you make yourself that better player making these micro adjustments paying attention to these off your back leg things give yourself a try because this is where this is that next step and i feel like that's kind of where I'm at. It's kind of nice to hear kind of some of what you're saying and some of your goals because it's good to enforce some of that. So with that, we're going to transition to maybe some closing thoughts. Um, we'll start off with Cody. What are some of your closing thoughts for this week's Jammers? Oh, I'm, I'm thankful I can sort of talk this week after last week when I sounded like I smoked menthols for three hours. Um, I do, I do like, um, I like the saying getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Uh, I like how a lot of people expect us to pick up any, any sport and just be the best when really, when you look at it, the people that are doing the best are putting in the most work. So yeah, you might be talented. You might have a natural gift, but you're not going to start seeing those results until you're putting in the work. Like 
I, I actually like field work, but I know the thing I need to work on most is probably taking 20 putters in my garage where I have my uh, basket and actually just putting. I don't ever just sit there and putt and putt and putt when I know that would probably make the most uh, impact on my game. So maybe that should be my goal. Start putting. I think that's kind of cool. You keep a putting journal. So maybe yeah. I should just do like a chalkboard out there and just. So, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, uh, the, you're going to get out what you put in that. And that's everything in life. If you put in the work, you will get something out. Oh yeah. Well, I will go with my closing thoughts. It is that time of year where people are opening up their sponsorship slots for street teams and all kinds of things. That's, that's probably continuing into 2023. They're going to see different brands opening up um, applications. There's never a time where you shouldn't. If you, are, if you are a disc golfer and you love it and you want to be sponsored, apply for a street team. Let them know what you're doing in disc golf, you know. The biggest key is, you know, don't be an asshole. And you can be, do go really far in disc golf. <laughs> I mean, I guess you can be and go far. But um, going into the next season, you know, I'm going to reapply and go for uh, Thought Space again. I started that, mo that movement, so I'm super excited to continue that with them in 2023 if they have me. Um, it's, it's all about just getting your name out there. Fill out a form. Tell them who you are. Josh Winter. Josh Winter. Oh, go. oh, I got this. Get I got out this. this space. Josh Winter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <terrible. laughs> what, what was that? No, we're not. Wait, wait, wait. Always came out sounding like T Pain, like 2005. What the heck? That, dude, He's going to be on Team Franklin after sounding like that. <laughs> <laughs> Every thought space, you need to pick this dude up right now, dude. No. This guy's awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, that moves us to your closing thoughts. We'll cut Josh off right there. Yeah. <laughs> His <laughs> angelic voice could just like die out and fade away. Tai, what are some of your closing thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, for most people, um, I get this question all the time about sponsorships is like tell you like how do you pick up a sponsor you know coming up this season i found great success in really establishing yourself as a content creator because that's a lot of what these people are looking for so find what your niche is really develop like your uniqueness and what you can add value to the disc golf community and then market and network yourself hardcore shoot your shot with these guys Throw a DM into their messages. The worst they're going to ever do is either not reply or say no. And then half the time, look on their websites because they have applications. Um, the only other thing I'd say is like, put the freaking work in, dude. There's so many people that are way too lazy in this sport that ask for, you know, the quick fix. Or, like, I'm just so much of a grind, grind, grind kind of guy, like Mamba mentality type of deal. Um, I always want to get better than the, you know, Tomorrow than the day and today and then the day yesterday, of course. So just put in the work, man. I mean, I always like that. And so to kind of piggyback on Tai with what some of what he's saying, either you can go that way, which is a little bit harder. Artists apply for Lone Star Discs and they'll probably sponsor you. No, <laughs> I don't know why I'm throwing shade right now. You are throwing um, a lot of shade. <laughs> burn the bridge, bro. No, I'm, right. I'm kidding, guys. Um, I'm watching a match. <laughs> 
I think it's all about being intentional with how you navigate. And I think figuring out who you want to be as a disc golfer and what is marketable is always important aspect of it this off season. And what do you have to offer? And if you don't, don't, if you can't answer that for yourself, then it's going to be a lot harder to sell yourself to some of these companies in regards to like, Hey, look, this is what I can offer. And this is what I've been doing. Um, yeah. I just, for me, like those are kind of some of my closing thoughts, be intentional with not only your practice, your work ethic, what you're doing, but how you're starting to navigate and how you're starting to promote yourself and take this like journey onto sponsorship and disc golf. Of course. I mean, I think that's always going to be uh, the, the adjustment. Um, sorry. We had a comment that just came in so much hate on Lone Star. Wow. That's fine. Right now. That's kind of where I'm at. That's because... the owner of Lone Star right there. That's, <laughs> that's, who, said that's, the owner. that's who said it. He watches our podcast. He watches our podcast. Uh, if you're listening, Actually, Nico, he's gonna come fight you. <laughs> Nico, he's gonna come fight me for our very first episode. I'm ready for him. You know, he he punched my friend in the chest. I'm ready to fight him. Hey. Uh, <laughs> Eddie Bill, that's man, that's that's a throwback. Man, <laughs> gotta love that school. Yeah, Ed, Ed and Eddie, let's go. <laughs> I do, do want to. that, guys. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. All right, Josh. Says I want to add say. one thing to to this sponsorship thing. If you can ask yourself, "Do I look good on an application?" and your answer is maybe not. You're a good person, but maybe you don't have the activities. Make this year go to Lone building Star. an application or a- application. Put yourself out there. Go volunteer with your local clubs. You know, start a clinic. You know, teach kids. Like build that that uh, application up. So the following year. You're a shoo-in. They're just looking for good people. That's what disc golf is all about. Go, Paige. <laughs> can, I, can, I, can I also say that uh, Robbie C. Disc Golf needs to jump back on the putting train and actually hit 10,000 putts in a single day because he just flat out gave out on that video. So I'm just, just saying. If this, if this video is he needs that. Kai calling out Robbie C. And I'm sure he'll forward that clip directly to him because yeah, get your shit together, Robbie, is what Tai is saying. Not my words, that's what Tai is saying. So I'm sorry. Our guest is calling everybody out, and we're just like starting a war. But you know what, guys? That's what we do here in Jammers in the Rough. We cause problems, we don't fix them. So with that, guys, thank you so much, Tai, for coming out this week. It's been an absolute pleasure. We're looking forward to Thanksgiving next week, so we won't be having our podcast because you guys will all be with your family, stuffing your face, and we want to allow that time to happen. Following week, we'll be back with another amazing guest. This 2022-2023 season is going to be our best one yet. So with that, guys, keep jamming in the rough. <laughs>